You ready? You feeling good? Do we need to do some warm-up laps? Uh, you know, um, what's the... Here's a warm-up lap. Um, last best movie you saw. Wow. Um, hmm. <clears throat> that's a tough one. See, that's supposed um, to be the easy one. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't watch movies that often. Um, yeah. Sorry, I'm sucking. This no, is a good. Okay, well, we can. We'll go. We'll broaden it. Movie. All right. No, no. I got. I got a movie for you. I okay. saw Sully the other day. Um, oh yeah. The Sully Sullivan story. That was. That was really good. Okay, I'm going with Sully. <laughs> <laughs> it was really good because it was cool how they showed a totally different story than you expected. That's why I like it. It wasn't about like an airplane landing in water. Correct. <laughs> Correct. However, it was about the aftermath of that landing and the uh, aftermath of the two minutes and thirty eight seconds or whatever. Like I didn't realize that he almost lost his license. Like oh. they they thought that he did the wrong thing and endangered all of those people. Huh. And I I didn't I don't know I like you know that wasn't on my radar. <laughs> Yeah, well, thanks for spoiling the movie for me, because I didn't know that either. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, that's in the trailer, so... Oh, really? Well, apparently yeah. I haven't seen the trailer either. Uh... <laughs> Stop hating on me! <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to the Blister Podcast, a program dedicated to interesting people, the great outdoors, and a bunch of other stuff we like. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check us out online at blisterreview.com. Today we are talking with Warner Nickerson, an American ski racer who was something of a World Cup walk-on, and he describes himself as a perpetual underdog. But this underdog chalked up 41 fist victories over his career, was a two-time NCAA All-American, earned four U.S. national podiums, and a couple of top 30 World Cup finishes. Equally important, Warner knows how to have fun. In fact, his friend Ewan Olsen has declared, Warner has more fun than all of us, which is a pretty big statement coming from Olsen, who is basically a world authority on fun. Warner and I talked for a long time, so we're going to get him back on the podcast to round out our conversation. But today, Warner and I talk about his background, the business of ski racing and ski academies, how elite racers approach their equipment, and the thorny issue of sponsorships and athletes skiing on a sponsor's equipment when it isn't a good match for them. Finally, we talk a bit about the big race event that's currently happening, Kitzbühel. This episode of the Blister Podcast is presented by Santa Fe Spirits. One of the things we love to do around here is introduce you to some of our favorite things, and high on our list of favorite things is Colkegan Single Malt Whiskey. Colkegan is produced right here in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and New Mexico's high altitude and dry climate accelerate the aging process to produce a mature tasting and delicious whiskey. Colkegan is produced only in small batches, it's aged in new and used American oak barrels, and it's hand-bottled in Santa Fe with hand-numbered labels. In short, if you really like whiskey, you really need to try it. To learn more about and to order Colkegan and Santa Fe Spirits other offerings, go to santafespirits.com. Now let's get to our conversation with Warner Nickerson. 
Well, hey, Warner, we're going to start with um, the question that I usually begin with, which is, where are you right now? I am in Guilford, New Hampshire, um, hanging out at my dad's house. And uh, it is extremely warm here and kind of a pleasant spring day for January. Well, good. Um, I mean, I guess unless it's better if it's January and so it's like pounding snow outside, but... That would be much better. Okay. Okay. And is this where you is this where you grew up? It is actually, yeah. Um, I grew up here, skied at Gunstock, this gnarly little mountain down the road. It's actually not that gnarly, but um, the name is know. amazing, though. It's true. Gunstock. It's badass. Yeah. Um. It's yeah. It's a cool. It's it's a great little family mountain, actually. Mm-hmm. Um. And it seems kind of flat when I go back now. But actually, I had my first beer race competition, um, beer league race, last night, and it was magical. <laughs> How did it go? Yeah, well, I, knew, I, I knew this was on the I knew this was on the agenda. But uh, so yeah, tell me how this went. Well, so I haven't raced beer league like ever, um, but I've always wanted to. Like right when I graduated from college, you know. My buddy Rob Saunders, who was on the development team for a while, moved back to Park City, and he was like all fired up to go race beer league. And I was like, "Wow, like that kind of sounds fun." And my brother's been doing it for years. He has a team. There's you know a pretty competitive group here at Gunstock, and you know like the beer league stuff just sounds fun. It's like mm-hmm. Thursday night or whatever night of the week, and you go out there and you know, hammer on the slopes, have some fun, talk some trash with the buddies and, uh, and then have a few beers after it's like, sounds like a perfect Thursday to me. That does sound pretty good. I guess I'm curious, um, you know, how much the, the beer part of beer league, you know, comes into play. And and if this sort of, you know, if there's a broad, um, a broad range, like if you went around the country to, to various beer leagues, you know, how much pre-drinking is generally involved in these? How much uh, drinking, you know, during during the league versus, you know, or is everyone pretty much saving it for post? post I, have, I have no idea. I am a beer league rookie here, <laughs> so I have no idea. But there's definitely, it would be, I think it would be fun to just go around to random beer leagues and just kind of see the action and do some people watching. Absolutely. I'm sure that would be entertaining. Absolutely. So uh, how was this, you know, your participation, how was this received? I mean, was, were people like, wait a minute, like you're, you know, bringing a ringer in here? Um, how, how did this go? Or did you, did you, you know, just dress in all black and keep it, you know, keep it kind of on the down low? And did you <laughs> um, fucking win? I mean, like, it's, we I did to... win. Okay, I good. did win. I did win. I was a little worried about that. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I, you know, you never know. It's really usually pretty straight and extremely flat. And it's like, oh, God, yeah. what's going to happen? Um, but no, it was it was fun, and uh, I definitely was. I had some mixed reviews from people seeing me. <laughs> some people were swearing at me, which was fun. There were there were some of my good friends because um, okay. I wasn't on their team. But uh, no, it was it was sweet. I was on my brother's team, um, and I've actually gone up a lot while he's been racing. They never had subs ever, so in this league, 
So I went up. I used to like be his serviceman sometimes and kind of like hang out. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was much more fun to compete and talk more trash. Um, it was that was fun. So how many how many laps did you actually take? What, what's this? Yeah, what'd you do last night? So the breakdown here, it's two laps, okay. uh, two runs. It was uh, like a twenty three second course. Um, which was long actually there was, it was pretty turny for, for this particular beer league, um, which made me really nervous when I got there because I went up on 35 meter skis Uh thinking it was just going to be straight as an arrow. Uh Um, and then the snow was bad because it was pretty warm. So I'm like, Oh man, I totally screwed (laughs) myself on this one. Um, but you know, it all ended up working out just fine. Um, so yeah, it was two runs and then they have, um, fun runs after, so they keep the it open for an extra like half an hour, an hour after. Um, so I got to I got three runs in. It was the highlight of 2017. Excellent! Wow, wow. <clears throat> I'm I actually think that's fairly impressive. I I imagine you've done some cool things in 2017 already. So you know, beer league, Gunstock beer league. Shout out! Yeah, totally. Awesome. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm more boring than my Instagram looks. <laughs> Rule number one, Warner, never admit that. Damn it. Yeah, it's okay. We'll, Fail. We'll cut that out. Yeah, you better cut that out. So we're starting things off in New Hampshire, right? Um, and uh, and at Gunstock. So you were, I'm guessing, quite young when you started skiing? Yes, uh, quite young. Um, yeah. Uh, I think I started, there's pictures from when we were like, when I was three, maybe. Yeah. Um, something like that, three or four, you know, classic, early. Um, yeah, but Gunstock is where kind of it all started. My um, my parents realized that it was cheaper um, to send us up and have us do like a ski school or whatever the version of it was at Gunstock than it was for babysitting or any type of like child care so they're like oh this is perfect so they dropped my brother and i off and that's kind of how it all started Mm -hmm. and so i mean was your introduction i mean well i guess you have ski lessons first and you learn how to you know pizza and french fry and stuff but was your introduction to skiing like pretty much an introduction to ski racing i mean did that go i mean early on that was already kind of the focus yeah definitely early on yeah but i was tiny i was like the shortest kid in creation um no really like it was super painful growing up being really short um you know only certain moments were painful like the moments when you have to line up your whole class lines up for picture day Uh, and you're like the shortest one shorter than all the girls you're like damn it like (laughs) um so (laughs) i was wait how old are we talking here we're talking that you're like in first grade or kindergarten or like fifth grade. Yeah, straight up until about <laughs> seventh grade or eighth grade, maybe seventh seventh eighth grade is when is when that changed. Okay, okay, shortest kid in the class. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you're this tiny little ski racer. Yes. Um. Yeah. No. I, I like the the beginning. I don't really remember that well, but it was just fun. I mean, we just. And actually, the beauty of Gunstock was that it had night skiing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were able to get a lot of laps in. I think that started maybe when I was like 8 or 10. They got lights here. Um, and that was like a huge deal. 
because then we could ski until 10 o'clock and actually that like then we had so we were we had two teams we had the ski club the gunstock ski club which my brother and i were part of i have one older brother guy he's awesome and um then we also skied for our high school team the guilford high school team and um as or you know like we had a middle school team and high school team so we'd usually train in the afternoons you know starting at like three to like five or six or something and then my brother and i would just you know stay up there kind of as late as my mom would let us um just banging around and smashing runs your parents probably were pretty thrilled about this too, right? Because now it was like, man, we can get him out of the house like not only during the day, and we get the night too. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably. That's a good point. I didn't think about it like that. <laughs> like this is ideal. It's ideal. Yeah. Like if I ever have kids, I'm moving to Gunstock just <laughs> so <laughs> Gunstock can just have them all the time. Oh, that's this awesome. Is, this is genius. Um, okay, so. You're racing, uh, you're like a, you know, tiny little racer. When did yeah, you start? Sucked. What's I, that? I, was, I was not very good either. Okay. I was pretty bad. Okay. But you're still kind of into it or just your parents wouldn't let you in the house? To... No, I was totally into it. Okay. I was totally into it. Okay. But I just wasn't that good because I was so short. I just didn't have like enough power, enough speed. Okay. Um, like I was skiing pretty well, but just never fast. Yep. It's funny. I mean, we've had um, Ted Ligeti's been on the podcast, and and uh, there's I'm hearing some similarities here in the um, not exactly rock starring out of the out of the gates um, right early on, um, and uh, that's totally true. But he got on a completely different trajectory than I ever did. Well, yeah. So let's we're gonna get like I want to I want to get there. Um, yeah, I do want to get there for sure. Um, so, so like, let's fast forward, you know, so we're what at seventh or eighth grade and you finally start growing a bit. And is this, does this just simply coincide when, uh, uh, your finishes and races started to improve? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Something like that. Um, so I, I ended up leaving Gunstock my soft middle, of my sophomore year, um, I, I ended up transferring to New Hampton School, which was a little prep school up the road. Mm-hmm. Um, it just wasn't, I wasn't making it happen at, at Guilford High School. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I like got in a little fight with a kid, got out of school suspension for three days. Um, then I went back to my math class. I was in this honors math class. Uh-huh. And I totally forget the name of the, the, the teacher, but when I came back, he told me that I got a zero on this exam I missed and that um, people in his class don't get suspended. So I was kicked out of his class. Um, And so a few things like that happened. um, And maybe not a few things. So that was the only thing like that that happened. But it was pretty clear that if I wanted to be a skier, um, I I needed to kind of go on to greener pastures, if you'd say. so I transferred to New Hampton School, which was perfect. I was a day student there. It was pretty close. Um, and we skied at Loon. And it was a prep school with a ski team. We weren't like Burke or any like gnarly sweet prep school uh, or ski, ski academy. Ski academy, yeah. Um, yeah, so then I moved up there. And it, was, it made a, 
a tremendous difference. Um, I like started to pay attention in school and did a lot better and um, just started kind of really got motivated in school and skiing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And started winning some stuff. What's the first, when was the first race you ever won? Oh, the first race I ever won. This is actually kind of a cool story. Um, this is on my year off in 2000 in Colorado. Okay. Um, so I graduated high school, didn't really know, did, didn't get in any school I really wanted to go to. I enrolled at St. Lawrence, but mm-hmm. um, didn't really want to go there and realized that I, like that year was the, my senior year is the year that I really learned that I wanted to be a skier. Um, and so I went out and joined this program called Team Go out in Colorado with Crawford Pierce, this legendary coach, and Craig Daniels. The two of them were were so different. It was really fun. Like the two of them are constantly like discussing what the best thing to do is with nutrition and skiing and technique and all these different kind of strategies. So it was really fun. It was a great group. There were four, really four of us. Um, but anyway, it was this race in Aspen. It was a downhill. And all the training runs were, um, were everyone missed gates on all the training runs. And I went around all the gates. And I don't know, I got to the bottom. I was like top 10 both days. And I was like, oh, yeah, sweet. Um, and then race day came along. And I was starting 44. I had 209. Um, I don't know why I remember that. But 209 downhill points. And... I'm like coming down. It like feels pretty good. I'm going fast. This is really fun. <laughs> I get to the bottom and the dude before me looks at me and he's like, hey. And I'm like, hey. And he's like, dude, did you miss any gates? And I'm like, I'm like thinking to myself, I'm like, I made that one. I made that one. I'm like, I don't think so. And he's like, because you just won then. <laughs> Wait, 43 people missed gates? No, no, no. Um, I came down into the oh, lead. Oh, your points. Points were... You were that, sorry. I, sorry. <laughs> I had 209 points, which means which means pretty bad. Um, yeah. Or never ski this event. Um, so I started 44th and came down into the lead. And the okay. guy's like, maybe you missed gates because everyone's missing gates here. At least huh. they were in the training run. So it's pretty funny. Um, oh, I love the idea. I, I wish my version were true, where 43 people <laughs> just couldn't couldn't find the game. And I was the first to get there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But actually, the, the lesson I learned from that day was Jason Rosner, who was on the B team at the time, um, coming back from an injury, was this really great, genuine guy. Um, and I'd never met him before. He was like the U.S. ski team guy that was there. You know, everybody was kind of um, a little scared of him. He was just gnarly, you know, big dude. Um, and right after he like realized that he got pushed from first to second, um, and right before awards, he came over to me. He like didn't even. He's like, "Who's this Warner character?" And so he found me and he shook my hand. He's like, "He's like, great job." He's like, that's really cool. Congratulations. Um, I think it's really neat when guys from the back make huge moves like this. And, you know, like, good luck tomorrow, but congratulations. And I was like, whoa. Like, I was ready for this guy to be mad at me, you know? Hmm. Um, And from that moment on, if anybody beat me, like, that was my go-to. It's like, 
it's like, wow, like that, especially if somebody comes from the back, if it's like your buddy that beats you that you're like, you know, that's your nemesis, maybe you're not that side. Yeah. <laughs> but um, there was a couple races where I got smoked from guys in the back um, and I did the exact same thing. And it's like, yeah. uh, it's just the way skiing is. It's this kind of amazing sport with, you know, good character education. Hmm. Yeah, pretty classy. Yeah. So, okay. So we somehow, we fast forwarded, I guess, um, you know, to your, to, I guess, your first win. But we also, you had just gotten done saying it was like your senior, your senior year in high school. And you're like, I think I want to be a racer. Yeah. That that's when I like late. Yeah. I mean, yes and no. Um, I think kind of when I was coming up there, it wasn't this huge focus on academies that it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, and people had kind of more time to grow into themselves and decide that they really want to be skiers. Um, I think that's maybe one of the problems now is that um, ski racing is turned into such a big business with all the academies. They're all like fighting over, yep. you know, like U12s because um, they want them to get in there. I'm not actually sure if it's U12, but like very young skiers, U14, you know, like they want people to go to their school because they have to look at, at the lifetime revenue of each student, right? I mean, if you're paying 60 grand a year over six years, um, it's a pretty compelling number. Yeah. So it's, it, it makes sense that people are, or these academies are really pushing for it. Um, in my day, it wasn't, it wasn't really like that, um, when I was coming up and I certainly wasn't on their radar. And I think that was kind of like the, one of the neat parts of kind of my upbringings that I wasn't that good when I was younger and just kind of kept slugging away and getting a little better every year. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, so <clears throat> let's fast forward then. You're in this you're in Colorado and then where's the what's the next part of that story? Um the next part of that story was I was still a junior. Um so I had it was like my last year as a J two they called it at the time. So it was like I was nineteen and when you turned twenty you weren't a junior anymore. So um I realized that I couldn't go to world juniors or anything. I was skiing well at the end of the year. I was, I was a pretty good speed skier, um, which like that one race kind of showed that. And I realized that the last thing I wanted to do was wake up. Um, like a really old guy. I was like, Oh man, like 25 years old is old. Yep. And the last thing I want to do is wake up 25 after being on the ski team for a few years, with a blown out knee starting college. Um, so I was like, all right, did one year off. My grandpa, my grandfather paid for the year. And afterwards he came up and was like, you've done so great. Like, this is amazing. Like, do you want to, do you want to do it again? Um, and, and I was, you know, it was like clear that I, it was time to go to school for me. Um, which now I'd even question a little, I don't know, like I'm not totally bull on, colleges right now i just think they're getting so expensive that it just really make that much sense at least some of them um but that being said it was like so i didn't see any alternative it's like all right i'm definitely going to college at some point um and now it's a really good time so that i don't find myself really old at 25 with a blown out knee getting kicked off the ski team and um you know like diving into school for the next four years 
so it was kind of like assessing like the risk and not not taking too much risk i guess mm-hmm. yeah okay so off to college yeah off to college which was amazing i went to colby college in maine mm-hmm. um and had a had a really great college experience and skied there for four years, which was perfect to go there because um, if I went to any of the other schools, I showed up with 50 points in four events. So I was not a good college skier. I rolled in there decent. Um, I was like two or three on the team um, and ended up being two my freshman and sophomore year. And, uh, and if I went to like a Dartmouth or a Middlebury, I had friends that went there that were about my level and they all kind of got pushed out the back and quit skiing their sophomore year, or junior year. Hmm. Um, so for me, it was really important to pick a school where I'd actually be able to ski. And so a lot of people ask me about that now. It's like, well, maybe people ask me less and less because I'm getting older. But at one point people were like, Oh, which school should I go to? Da, 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 da. And I'm like, you really need to consider that because yep. if you're not going to carnivals, it's not that ideal. I mean, it's a real struggle if you're not going to carnivals. So you need to be top six guy in whatever team you go to. If you want to keep skiing. Yep. Yeah. Carnivals. Yes. That's what they're called. Like college ski races in the Easter referred to as carnivals yeah i think it all started um with dartmouth and middlebury they'd have these like the dartmouth carnival would be like a big big weekend Mm -hmm. where they have a lot of stuff going on on campus and one of the events was a ski race and that's why it started to be called a carnival i'm guessing Mm -hmm. i mean it's great branding and marketing sounds super fun i'm bummed now that i you know, yeah, you should play football and basketball. We didn't have carnivals. You missed out, man. I did miss out. <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, that's an interesting one. And, and, you know, with the, the sort of, I guess, um, the business side of like ski racing and ski academies, what is the current state now? I mean, has that shifted up to where, you know, if you are, 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 elite racers just trying to bypass the college experience and start, you know, um, getting on the radar of like Olympic level racing, or is it still pretty much everybody is going through, uh, the college system? Yeah. The best guys don't go. The best guys and girls don't go to college. Um, yeah, like they, the kind of the model the ski team likes is they like to kind of cultivate their athletes from a young age and, you know, they, you know, you get picked on the development team and then you make the C team and, and then B and A and you kind of would move up like that over, you know, five or six years, um, five to eight years, really like Wybrek, I think took eight years to go from the D team to the A team. Um, so it's a, it's definitely a long road and I, I think it's important or for me, at least it was important to do something else. Like I, I don't think I would have been that happy if I was just racing um the whole time it's you know maybe if you're like killing it you know it's a little different but if you're not you know making huge gains it's like really nice to have something else going on in your life and another focus yeah so what were you studying at at colby and like did that matter i mean were you actually kind of paying attention or were you there to you know to ski 
So, no, I mean, I was, at first I, I wanted to be a, a biology major, um, and I rolled in there and took, like, the intro bio course, and I was in the lab for hours, and I'm looking through a microscope one day, and I'm like, I don't become a doctor and stay in this field. Like, you probably have to look through a microscope a lot, and that is not what I'm into. So... <laughs> That was the only bio class I took in college was intro bio, like first semester. Um, and then I was looking at the schedule. It's like, oh, wait, these econ guys, like they only have three classes or three days a week for 50 minutes. It's like, oh, that sounds a lot more interesting to me. Um, so the next semester I took an econ course and then ended up doing a econ government major. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So... Uh, Warner Nickerson's presidential bid, what, 2030 is probably what we're looking at? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Next, next question. <laughs> um, when's your bid? What's that? When's, when's your presidential oh, bid? Oh, no, no, no. God no. God, no. Um, yep. So Colby, like to get you to get through that that college um, time. Um, I mean, any other highlights there? Or are you really willing to leave it? Like, yeah. So I had like a decent racing career there, and then I started looking at you know, um, like was Colby a period of like real development for you as a racer, or were you just like kind of making it through, getting to some classes, doing some racing, but then no, things was- got serious post Colby. Yes, Colby was pivotal for me. Um, it was, it was, it was perfect. I I needed it. I matured a lot as a person and as a skier. And um, the end of my sophomore year, um, I ended up buying a pair of of one eighty eight Fisher GS skis from Jake Zamansky, um, and that was like a complete game changer. Um, that next, that summer or the next semester, uh, I went to New Zealand to the university of Otago, which a lot of people do. And I'd highly recommend it. Uh, went down there and skied like 35 days, did a bunch of races. Um, and that's where I made some really big gains. And then if you do that, the season starts really early and ends really early there. Um, so I think it was like November 1st or something when maybe it was November 15th, something like that is when, school or all the exams ended in Otago and Dunedin, um, New Zealand. So then I flew straight to Colorado and then just trained for another month. So that New Zealand program is really amazing because not only do you get a lot of volume down there, which otherwise you wouldn't because otherwise I wouldn't have gone to New Zealand. Like it wasn't like that. Not many, you know, only like the ski team and a few other people were doing it. And now, now it's common to go there. Um, of course, with like TCRA and a bunch of other, the Kohlberg Academy down there. But so for me, I went down there, skied a ton um, with this buddy of mine, Chris Frank. We bought this, this Nissan Sentra STS sport wagon, um, which we called the bird because we'd come around corners like hammering. <laughs> and so it was kind of quiet and birds would like be in the road and like and get their full wingspan about to get out of the way. And <laughs> Chris Frank was driving and we just smashed this one bird. It's like, you gotta be kidding me. So from then on, our car was, was coined the bird. Hmm. Um, so we were traveling around in that, 
that 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 little semester there was not about school at all. We 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 trained or we went to school on Monday and Tuesday. Tuesday night we'd drive to Treble Cone and then race Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or ski Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then come back for the weekends. Um, because th- there was too many people at the mountain to ski and have good training. So, and it was fun to be in Otago on the weekend. So yeah. that was kind of our program was two days of school a week, three days of skiing, and then the weekend. <laughs> Could be worse. Um, but the point of this is that we, both of us, Chris Frank and I, um, got a lot better. Um, and I made some huge gains when I did an equipment change and then, came into the carnival season and went from maybe my best result was like a sixth or a seventh. And then I won quite, quite a few races that year, maybe like five or something. Um, so yeah, that was like a huge, huge change. I showed up maybe with like 40 points at the beginning of that season and left with like 15 or something. At the end of that, yeah. So that I made huge gains from down there, and then it was that was kind of my big turning point. Yeah, that was when I got on that trajectory that was like like Ted's, yeah. But quickly it leveled out, <laughs> where he just stayed on it for the next decade. Uh-huh. Yeah. So how <clears throat> how old are you then at this point where we're we kind of making this uh, twenty three, twenty two, yeah, twenty three, twenty two. Okay, so you're 22, 23, um, and then let's just keep this. I want to keep this uh, this narrative march going, and then we'll okay. get around to some other questions. But so, what's life looking like now at 22, 23? Um, so that's when I realized I just wanted to be a skier. Yeah. Um, and I kind of had so when I first started college, I wanted to still race some speed races, which I did a little bit, but not that much. Um, and I kind of thought I was going to go to school for two or three years and then leave and ski race again. So at least I had a little bit of school out of the way. Um, but right after my junior year, when I had this great season, I was fourth at us nationals and top three made the C team. I was like, I don't know, a 10th or something, maybe two tenths off the, the podium there. And, um, I thought about just skiing full time then. Um, but it was like, all right, let's finish this college thing up. So then I went back to school, back to Colby for one more year, um, which was a much harder year for me because I didn't have, I went to New Zealand a little bit, or I went to New Zealand that summer, um, with CVA as a coach slash skier and, um, didn't get that much volume. We were at Mount Hutt. It wasn't totally perfect. Um, it was really fun. It's a great group, but didn't get a ton of volume and then came back to school and then missed that whole Colorado prep period. Um, went out there for like a week around Thanksgiving, but it was just, it was a much more challenging season. You know, when you have a great prep period, it makes such a difference. Um, so then after that, it was like, all right, I'm definitely going to ski race. I remember all my friends were, were going to job fairs and looking for jobs and I really wanted to go to like an, go to some interview with a six pack of beer, roll in, crack one, hand it to the guy interviewing me and being like, let's talk, man. What's up? <laughs> but you never did this? But I never did. Oh, I, I, this is one of those things that I'm just a little disappointed yeah. with myself for. 
would that be hilarious? I, I wish I would have known earlier. We could have like both cracked a beer at the same time here, and you know, kind of at least done a poor version of your, you know, of your dream. Are you saying this is a job interview? <laughs> <clears throat> Not yet. Not yet. We got to get you out of Colby College. We got to. I want to keep this 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 train yeah. going. Okay, yeah, let's keep keep rolling here. Get, gosh, it's been a while already. Um, we've been on the phone for a long time. All right, so then um, I left. I joined something called Ski Racing International, which was a small ski team um, got by Wolfgang Frongal, this really good Austrian dude, and um, Fritz Ballant. The two of them started a little team. There was maybe six or seven of us on it. Uh, Mark Heinrich Wallace was on it. Um, and my buddy Chris Frank, and we had Eric and Connor. We had a, a really a great crew, um, and that was a really fun year. Got a lot better, and then made the ski team. So then I was on the ski team that next year, which was two thousand six, two thousand seven, um, and I was only on the ski team actually for one year, but raced nine years after college. Um, <laughs> which I think is kind of funny. Go on. Well, I don't know. Like, you know, I did this one year on the ski team. I, I got injured halfway through the season, and Sasha Rierick was the Europa Cup coach at the time, and he's like, he's like, do you even, you even like this? Like, what, what's going on? And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I love this. Like, this is what I want to do. Because he was kind of like fishing to see if I wanted to quit. Hmm. Um and I think that he like kind of knew that I was going to be cut if I didn't make criteria, which I was like really close to, but didn't actually make. Um, so I was cut from the ski team and, uh, and that's when I kind of started going out on my own and figuring it out and having a, like a, a really amazing journey. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's funny. Like there's some great things that the ski team brings you. Um, like infrastructure wise and training wise. Um, but also they, there's some challenges that come with it too. Um, if you're, if you're not like dedicated to one group. So that one year I was, G, I was GS and Psalm skier. So I got passed around quite a bit. I had five different servicemen in one season. Um, I started tuning my own skis because every time you went somewhere, it was a different tune that felt totally different. Um, the first World Cup I went to, I stuck my head through the third panel because I was on a pair of skis that was like just felt a thousand percent different from you know the pair that that I remember that I had the day before um, because they just retuned them. So it was one of those things where like you quickly realize that there's some serious drawbacks when you're getting passed between groups. Yeah. Um, and the ski it was actually super tough getting cut um phil mcnichol i was living in in park city that summer and phil mcnichol called me up and he's like yeah he's like yeah you're cut um you want like talk about it and have lunch or something i'm like yeah sure so we go and have lunch and um i don't know when your governing body decides that like they no longer think that that you're up to it and no longer want to support you in any way you know, because I wasn't invited to any camps, wasn't invited to anything. It's, it, it sucks. Um, and I feel like that's 
one of the things that the ski team still really struggles with. Like they're just not that good at letting people go and kind of understanding what they need. Um, but anyway, that was kind of a weird note. <laughs> well, <clears throat> not really. I mean, given that I think a lot of people as in, I don't know, 99.9% of people probably, um, have that experience of getting cut as opposed to being the like superstar who's fawned over and everyone's tripping over themselves to, um, you know, to keep happy and, and all that jazz. So, um, yeah, I mean, those seem, seem like, um, significant things to say, right. And, uh, ones that literally everyone can relate to. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Getting cut from things isn't, isn't that fun. But it also opens up doors for other things. So this buddy of mine, um, Roger Brown, was also cut the same year. So we started Team Maximum Velocity. (laughs) We made a cool little video about it with uh, this car I had at the time going nine miles an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, it was – and then it it became really fun because we were on our own just trying to figure it out. We went to New Zealand together and – um, trained down there with with Gunther Bergman with TCRA. Um, we're just trying to figure it out. You know, it's like a couple couple guys on the road with no coach and a lot of heart, mm-hmm. um, and that kind of defines most of my career. Yeah, and I mean, so you kind of went fast over this part, but I mean, why didn't you quit? You know, why, oh. why not say, yeah, you know, not on the team. I guess this isn't working out. Because um, there's no way I would ever let anyone decide my destiny. It's like, that is not okay. Yeah. Like, you can tell me whatever you want, but I don't have to listen. Yeah. Um, so that, I mean, yeah, and I had, I had no interest in quitting. I was totally committed to keep going and trying to, because I, I didn't have anything else I wanted to do. That That's, well, you know, when you have like a real passion and real dream um, and goal. It's like nothing else matters. So it's like, all right, I just have to figure out how to fundraise and do a couple other things and then I can make this work. So that became my new focus and it was kind of my focus already because you have to fundraise anyway. Um, So yeah, then I just kind of kept slugging away, but you know, the ski team wasn't very supportive for a while there. Until finally they realized that I just wasn't going to go away. So yep. they're like, uh, okay, <laughs> okay, you're better than most of the guys in our B team. So, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> huh. So, okay, so we're up to, we've gotten up to team maximum velocity. And, I mean, we're, right, I love the names, by the way. We've gone from, we've had the bird, and now we're <sighs> talking about team maximum velocity. Eventually we're going to get to the mothership, I, I presume. Um, oh, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so what's happening between, you know, how, how much space is there between team maximum velocity and the mothership? Um, there's actually a lot. Okay. So, well, it's weird, you know, like, so every year for me was kind of a different team. So Roger quit that year. And then the next year, um, Dane Spencer was racing and he, he was coming back from a big injury. He was cut from the national team. And he was a GS guy, so I was kind of a Psalm and GS guy, but GS was going pretty well, so we teamed up. Um, and we trained a lot with Thomas Earhart. He was, like, unbelievably helpful at that period. Um, he's a 
coach out and it was with the ski team most recently. Um, but great guy. And we, Dane and I just like went to a bunch of Europa cups and kind of had our own program. We were called dream in the life because we weren't living the dream. Um, <laughs> I think, I think you need to just start a consulting business for like bands and they're just like, dude, we need a name. Cause I think you're pretty good at the names. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, it wasn't just me. It's, it's everyone that we're with, you know, it's like coming up with, it's so funny. Cause over time there's like, if you spend enough time together with one person, then you're yeah. like trying to do something together at some point you're like, yep, that's it. <laughs> yeah. And we were, we were dreaming the life. It's awesome. DTL okay. baby. DTL. Um, so that was a great year. I made some stri- made some strides, got to race um, a bit. Didn't make the Olympics in in uh, Whistler, which was like this big goal of mine. You know, it's tough when you tell everyone that that's your goal and you don't make it. You feel like kind of a failure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went through kind of a, a short period there where I was a little depressed, mm-hmm. and then then. On DTL, we had uh, this this random guy start skiing with us. He was a big air skier turned ski racer, um, Yoon Olsen. So he 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 came for our spring kind of tour of racing, and this is when I switched to Dodge ski boots and like at the at the time kind of really like stopped caring about skiing. And just went out to have fun and, you know, rip the last three races before I probably quit. And then all of a sudden, like, scored an eight, which you probably don't know what that means, but it's pretty good. Um, So I started scoring these really fast races and was having a ton of fun with Yoon and Dane. Um, And then that's when I spent a few years from then kind of for, I guess, the rest of my career. I was on Team No Team which was with Yoon Olsen and then Life Christian Haugen a little bit. Um, and we had a few people come in and out um, for like the next period of like the random team that we were on. <laughs> um, but, I, oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, but, but that was a, it was a big thing to finally let go um, and not, not focus on, not, I don't know. I was like getting too caught up in the races and, yeah and just skiing in general and finally was able to let go. And then all of a sudden, you know, all that hard work was coming back with some really good skiing. And I got on the Dodge ski boot and that made a difference too. Um, I went from kind of sucking to fast. (laughs) That's always fun. Interesting that, I mean, you talked about a pivotal moment was getting on the 188 Razi. Sure. And then, then, yeah, it turns out, I guess, equipment, equipment still matters. No equipment is really important, um, crucial, absolutely crucial. And so my big kind of turning points were, were, were definitely equipment related, no question. That, and it's definitely some mental. I mean, it's a few things that goes into it, but equipment played a big part. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> two, questions, two questions I want to ask, but um, on that equipment front, um, why do you guys talk about equipment much? No, not really. Um, <laughs> passing occasionally, we get to it, but just curious. Um, given all 
you know, especially let's say focusing on kind of a high profile, high profile racers um, who are working with different sponsors, sometimes changing sponsors, right? There's got to be um, people who are like, shit, I love this boot or I love this ski, but I'm getting this better offer from a different company. How much of a conversation is that kind of on the circuit, you know, or at the, you know, at the bar uh, late at night? I mean, is this like sort of a thing that gets discussed or is everyone kind of keeping such thoughts to themselves? They're mostly keeping these thoughts to themselves. Um, But people are having these thoughts. Yeah, well, certainly. I mean, <laughs> yeah. like, I never really did because I, I never got paid by a ski company. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> but others certainly are. You know, it's like when you get a little older and you all of a sudden need money. Um, so it's like the guys that are starting to have families, the guys that are in their, yep. you know, late 20s um, and, you know, need or end up buying things and need money. Like, they're the ones who can have a tough year and then or a couple tough years. And then, you know, that retainer dollar amount really matters to them. Um, and at the same time, it's, it's kind of fun to change. It's like, it gives you kind of a renewed motivation in the sport because when you switch to another company, all of a sudden, you know, you have to, you have to figure out the boots, you have to figure out skis. There's like so much going on. And so mentally you're really focused on it and it can be, it can be really fun. It's kind of like a powerful time when you're learning a lot and getting, um, just figuring out things day in and day out and making all these adjustments and changes. It's, it's really fun and powerful. And when it's working, it's, it's phenomenal. Um, but when it's not, that's when it starts to get really tough. Um, but no, so the, the changing equipment is, is definitely something that happens. I remember when Ted switched ahead, um, he was, he was on Rozzy and then switched ahead. This was maybe like six years ago, something like four, four, I don't know, a while ago. Um, but he was bad on head equipment, like for, for him, like he went from being the, the best GS, essentially the best GS skier in the world to being, he was thinking he could stay in the top 30. He was like on heads in just, you know, maybe like 25th in the world level. Um, and in slalom, he was like much worse than that. Um, and it was, it was wild. So then he spent, you know, that whole summer just tweaking equipment and tweaking equipment and then the whole fall doing the same thing. And, and then when Solden came, he was actually skiing pretty good. Um, and ended up, I don't know, I think he was like third in the first world cup or something. So it was, it's, it takes a lot of time. So whenever somebody switches, um, and immediately they're better, it, it, that happens sometimes, but often, you know, you're immediately better for a cup for a day or two because you're so excited about something new and different. And then, you know, it's kind of a, a, a long struggle. Hmm. And hopefully, you know, you have the right people around you that can help you make decisions um, and find the right mounting point and, you know, the right tune and the right models and then figure your boots out. I mean, it's just a, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, 
And so you just really need to have some people around you that help and just have a willingness to try and change. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I th- the, the answer to this question feels like it's going to be obvious, but that's also kind of want to confirm or, or um, see what you think on this. But were you then surprised? I, I'm just curious. Like, it seems like a lot, there's a lot of athletes, um, looking at if we're looking broadly at different sports where you have athletes that are hypersensitive to their gear right and then i think you kind of have like a different picture of the athlete that's like screw it like throw me on whatever i'm going out there and i'm going to compete and i'm going to win when we're talking about racing at a high level were you surprised by the number of people and like men or women racing who you're like, man, they just kind of seem to get up, pop on whatever and just go do their thing? Or is everybody simply obsessing at that level because you're not going to be at that level if you're not obsessing? Everyone's obsessing. Everyone's obsessing, yeah. Kind yeah. of no exceptions. Yeah, I mean, you know, the people that are really good that you see, like at the highest level that'll make a switch and be just as good the next year, like the amount of energy and work that goes into to that is is usually huge um, that you don't see. Um, however, you know certain people ski better on certain equipment. Like it's just it's just easier for them based on their their body makeup. Mm-hmm. And so if if you are on a pair of skis, you know that aren't really that aren't great for you. Like for instance, I think. Um, some guy, I'm not going to name anyone, but there was, there was a few great slalom skiers that were on Rossi that had a kind of a soft top of the turn, but really, really powerful, like right in the fall line. So it was a little soft at the top and then unbelievably powerful. And these guys were ripping and extremely fast and in contention to win races. And some of them were winning races. Um, and then the next year, um, they switched to another company to, to Fisher. Uh, there's a few guys who did this and when they were on Fisher, you know, Fisher is a ski that you really lock onto an arc and you have to really build at the top of the turn. Um, and if you didn't do that, so these guys kind of, you know, had a softer top and didn't have that big build and, and didn't have that big build in their technique and how they skied. And they were immediately struggling. Um, and some of them figured it out, but you know, it's just, it's a lot to change. So, I mean, there's, there's no question that some people will be better on equipment. I think BZ, um, is a great example. Thomas Beesmeyer, who's yeah. like ripping right now in yeah. speed. He was second at a Europa cup in Vangen last week and I think he was like sixth or seventh. I don't know. He was did really well in the World Cup um two weeks ago in Santa Catarina. And um he was on Rossi before and then switched to Atomic and like immediately he was better. Um so there are those there are certainly those cases, but for sure a lot of work went in. He has a good serviceman and he had a great serviceman on Rossi too, but you know, for him, like there's no question that his style is better now on Rossi or on uh, Atomic, sorry, by like a lot. And that's awesome. It's just kind of painful when you're on another company for a bunch of years and don't quite have it dialed in. 
So if that makes sense. Yeah, it does totally. And so again, I mean, this is, I, you know, this isn't sort of quantitative, but just your impression, how many people, how many racers do you think are out there at a high level kind of on mismatched equipment? See, this is like almost impossible yeah. to figure out. Um, but there's no question that there are a number of people on potentially the wrong equipment where like if anyone says, so I think this is a good example. If you're coaching someone and they say that they can't be athletic, they like can't actually like feel athletic in their skis. I think that's a a dead giveaway that something is seriously wrong. And it's not like, Oh, like try harder. Oh, pull pant, pull plan or do this or do that. It's like, no, no, no. Like there's a problem with the setup. So, you need either to make some drastic changes in, you know, the way the skis and boots are set up, or you just need to try something else. Yep. yep. So I think that's kind of the a good, like, I don't know, if somebody doesn't look athletic and doesn't feel athletic, and generally speaking, they're pretty athletic or can be athletic, then, you know, they're in, it's like, it's like they're in the, the wrong size shoe or something. Um, and they go to run and they're just like tripping all over themselves and it's painful to watch because, you know, you know that they can be good and it's gotta be even more painful for them. Yeah. That's gotta be the worst, man, especially obviously in these speed events, when you're talking about, you know, podiuming versus, you know, first place versus sixth place is 0.4 seconds. Um, yeah. Um, not having that stuff dialed. I mean, that would be pretty mentally crushing if you're just like, man, I think this is, I I'm feeling good. I'm feeling strong. I feel like this is my equipment. <laughs> that would be, um, that would well, be so, so most people don't know it actually, hmm. you know, they, they assume that everything's going well and they're just kind of got to keep figuring it out. Um, and you know, sometimes they're banging their head against their wall, but it's hard to know. It's really hard to know. And the only time, you can really find out is if you jump on something else and quickly learn that you're a different skier. Um, so I recommend people try things all the time. Um, yeah, I mean, if something's like, you know, to a certain extent, you don't want to be testing too much. Um, but if things aren't right, yeah, you got to shake it up a little and jump on some different equipment and try some new things and, you know, try to have some more fun and with what you're doing, you know, and if, if you're on something that doesn't work and it's not fun, then it's kind of a good time to mix it up. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Um, okay. So enough of that, enough of the gear talk for now. Um, let's bring things back a little bit. Uh, I was going to ask what, what your favorite, um, young Olson story is, whether that comes from the days of, of, uh, team no team or or if your favorite story comes from more recent uh more recent times yeah um there's a <laughs> lot of those stories um he is just not normal um in so many good ways um so for instance one year he's like oh yeah this was maybe this was the year after we we ski race together in the in the spring he's like man you got to come to this to sweden for a week and and party with me and i'm like yeah sounds sweet 
Um, so there were some of those trips where I, I went to Sweden in the summer a number of times to go to this place called Bosta and um, Gotland, where like he in Sweden, he's very, very popular. And um, his whole thing was like buying champagne and having these insane parties. So I was lucky enough to partake in some of those. Um, then he had this really cool thing. He had the Yoon Olsen Invitational, which turned into a ski racing event too. And it was it was a big air event for a bunch of years. And then it, he got a new sponsor. And uh, it was also a dual a dual kind of slalom in between slalom and GS. And it was in Orde, Sweden. And he's like, he's like, yeah, what day do you want to come? And I'm like, I'm like, well, what's the deal? He's like, yeah. So like, um, training is on Friday and Saturday is, is the event. And I'm like, well, what, what day does housing start for like the big air guys and everyone else? He's like, well, Tuesday, they get here on Tuesday. So I'm like, all right, perfect. I'll come on Tuesday. <laughs> Um, just because at this point I'd, I'd had a lot of fun hanging out with them. So I roll into Ori on Tuesday and then I got to know a bunch of the big air guys, which was really fun. Um, that was, and those guys are just out of their mind, you know, essentially cause they're so young and they, most of them haven't had any injuries yet that they're just sending it in every endeavor in their life. Um, so that was really fun. At the end of that week, Ewan's like, He's like, well, dude, what are you doing? What are you doing for the next couple of weeks? And I'm like, oh, I don't know, just going home. And I don't know, it's like kind of a crappy time to be in the east in in like early May because or late April, early May because there's no skiing and and it's mud season. So he's like, well, um, we're gonna keep this helicopter for a week and go go to Folgafana, Norway. He's like, do you want to come? And I'm like, uh, yeah definitely um so i pushed my flight back three weeks and um we went over there and trained in Folgafana and had just a a really great time um and actually at the end of it somehow i ended up in a norwegian tabloid um <laughs> with with this popular norwegian girl that um i went to a few events with at the end of it, it the whole thing was just ridiculous but really fun. My takeaway, my takeaway from this is, if Yoon Olsen is ever going to ask you to do anything, you just say yes. Like you could just, <laughs> like if he wrote you and was like, "Hey, um, I'm going to ask you to do this thing. Are you in?" That there's, you just say yes, and and then you go forward. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something, something like that. Um, let's bring this back around a little bit. We've got. Um, uh, a pretty big event in the racing world coming up, um, Kitzbühel. And uh, I wanted to, before we before we let you go, um, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts both about that particular um, event and a little bit about just kind of <clears throat> what you're seeing um, in kind of the current state of ski racing. Um, but... Uh, but let's, I guess, talk about Kitzbühel first. Um, I mean, this is, um, you know, often kind of regarded as like the crown jewel event in the in the racing world. Um, does the event deserve this hype? Um, talk to me about this. Uh, yeah, I think it absolutely deserves that hype. Um, I've never skied it. I, I wasn't um, a World Cup downhiller, and I've never actually been on the track, but I did hike up it one summer 
Um, and it is, some parts are just so steep. You're like literally, you know, on all fours going straight up or like struggling to go up. There were parts that I didn't even want to hike. It was like climbing. Um, but no, it is absolutely gnarly. And this last year I was, I was there watching and I, I ended up leaving halfway through because, um, there was one, there was one gate coming into like the Hausberg jump. So that's this at the bottom, there's this big jump with the, the big Red Bull banner over it. And then you land and you make like a little left footed turn and then a big right footed turn onto this traverse, which is this long bumpy traverse across the mountain and then you dive down essentially to one more jump in the finish but up there there was a funky little bump and if you want to win the race you have to have a really high line on on the um on the traverse and in order to get that you have to get it before the houseberg jump so if you were going to win you'd land in this spot where there's this funky little jump and i watched we watched like guy after guy pack it in there and for me, it wasn't fun to watch anymore. It's yeah. like, this isn't cool. Like, yeah. this is too much. It's yeah. dangerous. And, you know, you're watching one buddy after another blow out their knee. And, you know, and so it's a really gnarly event. Um, and when the conditions are good, it is, it's got to be one hell of a rush mm-hmm. to, to run that thing. Um but no, it's it's definitely the the biggest event of the season. I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger goes like, come on, <laughs> we get in the Terminator. <laughs> yes, <clears throat> yeah, that needs to be, I think, on the the bucket list to go check that out. Though, like you, I might end up sort of turning away if you're um, just seeing people explode, um, you know, again and again and again. Um, yeah, I mean, but you know, hopefully that was a one year thing. I mean, I'm hoping that the, you know, it's all about the weather, right? So there was this little bump, it was soft and then hardened up. You couldn't get in there and make it smoother. So it just, yeah, it's gnarly. I mean, it's not like everyone in that finish knows that, you know, like, like somebody there's, you know, there's a good chance somebody's going to get airlifted out. Like it's, it's gnarly. It's, it's. It's a big, it's scary. Man, when you're approaching a course like that, I mean, the, the, this is a, it's such a general question, I guess, but the whole question of like, you know what, if I'm going to win today, I'm just going flat fucking out versus I'm going to try to keep it at like just slightly dialed back, right? So I can anticipate a messed up course. You know, it's like, can you even afford to do the second part? The like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not going 100%. I'm going to go at 90 for the sake of trying to correct in the rest. Or it's like, well then no dude, you're guaranteeing you're going to lose. Well, not only are you guaranteeing you're going to lose, but you might even get hurt. I mean, I guess this is the whole like massive question about racing, right? Is like, or racing at an elite level. Um, you know, because the flat out, like full abandon, um, and then you're what? Just hoping that you're staying strong in the right places. Um, do you know what I mean? Do you, I, I think you probably. I think I hope you know what I need. Mean, what I mean? 
I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Like, do you take all the risk or do you, do you, you know, do you decide that maybe you're calculated here or there? Yep. Um, and that's absolutely part of it. Um, but the second you go in tentative, yeah, that's when it's bad. Yep. That's when you go off a jump and you're not ready. Yep. Um, and end up, you know, cartwheeling into full tomahawk mode into fences and whatnot, which nobody likes to see. Um, but no, there's, it's very calculated and a lot of risk and it is one hell of an event. Well, cool, man. I think we should, uh, we should let our poor listeners go. Um, (laughs) and if anyone has gotten this far into this podcast, like send us a note on like, twitter or okay instagram instagram i i kind of hate twitter me too Send, like, like respond to me or write something on my wall on uh or on one of my pictures on instagram and i will be like really impressed and follow you okay yeah that's uh there you go you're gonna get some people you're gonna get some people writing what's your where can they find you on instagram <laughs> oh it's just warner warner nickerson is my is my name okay it's yeah, so it's under that. I will be impressed. <laughs> um, well, cool, man. It has been um, fun to talk, and um, and we're we're doing this again. Um, so the only question is, you know, how soon we bring it back. But we've we've had some some offline conversations about some other cool stuff that you're up to and thinking about, and um, and we're we're going to talk about that someday. But uh, but I think we'll sign off for now and. Um, yeah, you've got an interesting story and uh, and a fun one, and um, I appreciate you sharing it here, um, as well as kind of giving your uh, take on the uh, the the current race scene. Um, so, yeah, man, good stuff. I appreciate it, and uh, we're gonna talk again soon. Look forward to it. Thank cool, you. Man. All right, take care. Bye. That's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. Many thanks to Warner Nickerson for the conversation and to Santa Fe Spirits for sponsoring this episode. Thanks also, of course, to our strikingly handsome audio engineer, Justin Bob, who, admittedly, isn't looking too strikingly handsome today. His newborn daughter isn't letting him sleep much, and he just came from a dentist appointment where, evidently, the dentist just went medieval on his mouth and teeth. Till next time, head over to blisterreview.com to see what we're up to there, and we will talk to you next week where we will be coming to you live from SIA.